Okay, we're going to start page 57. Thank you all for being here. This is awesome. To start, I want to talk about my son, James. I'm a proud dad. My son is five years old, turned six this summer. He has been excitedly reading the Magic Treehouse books. Anybody read those? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, literally he read two of them this morning. So he's, like, on a roll. He reads a ton. And uh, for anybody who hasn't read the story, the kind of basic idea of the Magic Treehouse is that you pick up a book in the Magic Treehouse and you say, I want to go there. And then, boom, you get magically transported to that place or that time. And books are kind of like that. They're almost magical. They open us to new worlds. They take us into the mind, the imagination of the author. And so I'm thrilled to talk with you all today at this afternoon seminar about books, why to read, what to pick, and how to upgrade your reading habits. So quick show of hands. Um, How many of you were at my breakout this morning on distraction? Okay. All you people be thinking about the connections between distraction and then reading books. Tons of connections, really interesting. Uh, How many of you, man, you love to read. You regularly have a current book that you are reading. How many people? Okay, a few of you. How about a little bit less? You like to read, but you just don't really have a lot of time. It's a lot of you, yep. And then maybe you want to read. You don't really like it, but you want to read, but it's just really hard for you. You struggle with it in some way, yep. And then on the opposite of the spectrum, maybe there's some of you here. How many of you dislike reading? You're like, why am I even here at this seminar? Thank you. Thank you for being here. And for people who didn't raise their hand, you probably have friends or family that are in that boat. You know, they, they really don't like it. So just for me personally, a little bit about kind of where I'm at on the spectrum. Um, I love to read. I grew up around books. Uh, my mom would bring me regularly to the library. Um, I always have been a reader, but even the last five years or so, I've, I've kind of upgraded that even more so. And one of the reasons is that I am happily married to my wife, Melissa, and I have three kids, James, Eden, and Ivy. And so being a dad and being married and having a job and having a house, all these different things, having a dog, um, it has meant that my free time has been lessened and constrained. So I've had to really be selective. What am I going to do when I have a very limited amount of free time? And so I've chosen, I'm going to have just one hobby, reading books. Like that's what I'm going to do. Um, I don't play video games any longer. I don't watch a whole lot of shows or YouTube, things like that. I don't lift weights. I don't hunt. I don't fish. Um, Instead, I'm indoors in a comfy chair, quiet, eyes fixed on a book. That's my one hobby. Um, I usually read a book or two each week. Um, Just to give you a sense, I don't want to, like, brag, but I've read 32 books this year. So I'm into it. Like, I'm a super, super nerd. That's what I like. You don't need to be like me. That's not what the seminar is about. Like, be like Andy. You don't need to be like me. Um, but that's where I'm coming from. Like, that's kind of who I am, and that's my, my hobby. I'm a huge lover of books. My wife, Melissa, is the same way. Um, our house is filled with books. Upstairs, main floor, downstairs, there's books everywhere. Um, and if you ever want to get me talking excitedly, just ask me the question, Andy, what have you been reading recently? Uh, and I'll, I'll love to share. So that's what we're talking about today. Page 57 in your packets there. Uh, we're going to talk about why we should read, what books to choose, how to develop wise reading habits, and then we're going to do, uh, for people who want to stick around for a little bit extra, we'll kind of dismiss at that point, but anybody who wants to stick around extra for our workshop and some Q&A about reading. Um, or if you want to think about it, it's the motivation to read, the selection of books, the habits, and the practice. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into why we should read. Father God, we want to pause and ask for your help. Lord, please, would you work in our hearts to give us a superior affection for you and your word above all other books. Help us also to have a deep desire for wisdom 
that motivate us to read. Lord, please protect us from pride, from idolatry. Um, please help us, Lord, to have right motives. And Lord, would you grow us uh, through the medium, through the, the method of reading books. Lord, would you help us to grow in various ways that, that we need to? And we devote this time to you that you'd be glorified and that it would, would set us on a, a trajectory that glorifies you. Um, and please, Lord, give us great delight and joy and give us the fruit of your Holy Spirit of self-control and discipline um, to be able to read profitably. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, first point, TLDR. Why should we read books? Anybody doesn't know, TLDR stands for too long, didn't read. Uh, it's sort of the motto of those who pass on books or pass on you know, long articles. And I get it. Books are not for everyone. So first, I'm going to give you reasons why not to read. We got two seats up here. We got a seat right there, seat back there, seat right there. Come on in, come on in. Don't be shy. Here, here, there, there. Awesome. So yeah, first I'm going to give you reasons why not to read. Three reasons why not to read. Number one, learning as many methods. Number two, reading is hard or impossible for you. Number three, reading can be an idol. So uh, new people, we're on page 57. So first, learning has many methods. Reading books is not the only way to learn or grow in wisdom. You can watch a YouTube video. You can listen to a three-hour podcast about World War II. You can even learn about books by watching clips on hashtag book talk on TikTok and learn about books. It's kind of a paradox, right? Um, learn about books by watching TikTok. Uh, and for Christians, you know, each week we attend Sunday services where we don't read necessarily. We don't sit around as a reading group, but we listen. We hear a book being explained to us. Um, and even here at Focus, you know, we're studying First Peter, a book of the Bible, but we're mainly not reading it. We're not sitting around and reading for seven hours, but we're hearing. We're hearing the exposition of Scripture. So learning has many methods. Reading is not the only way to learn. Second reason why not to read is maybe reading for you is hard or impossible. Uh, maybe you, and probably not you as college students, but maybe you as a human being are illiterate. You cannot read. There are many people throughout the world, many people throughout history who cannot read. That does not make you any less human or any less valuable. You are still made in the image of God of infinite value and worth. Maybe you are blind. Maybe and you can read with uh, Braille, I guess, but you, maybe you have dyslexia. It's very, very hard for you to read. Maybe you suffered a serious concussion and you have incredible pain when you try to read and, and concentrate with your eyes. Maybe you have a long commute to campus and you're not supposed to read while you drive, you know? Um, maybe you try to read, but you just can't comprehend it. It is so difficult. It feels like constant failure for you. Or maybe you do read. You read hundreds of pages for your class, your literature class, your history class, and so your brain cannot take any more reading when you're done with the class. You're not going to read more because you just can't handle anymore. Or maybe you can read, but it's just honestly not your thing. You just dislike it. I personally dislike running. I think that's okay. And if you just dislike reading, I think that's okay. That's fine. Third reason why you should not read is that reading can be an idol. Just like every good thing that God has made, books can be elevated to a God replacement. It is a very real temptation, particularly if you like love to read, to become prideful, to be a book snob, to look down on non-readers with condescension. It is also a temptation to begin to find your worth and your value in how many books you have read. It's tempting for me to think, oh man, if I could only read such and such a book, then I would no longer struggle in such and such an area. I am sometimes guilty of reading idolatry, 
uh, and uh, one big reason is that you can read on a topic and think that you're good to go, but not do anything. Because knowledge is not the same as application. Knowing something, reading something is not the same as doing something. So you can be like, oh, I read 15 books on evangelism. It's like, yes, but did you evangelize? Like, did you actually share the gospel with somebody? Because that's better than reading 15 books on it. I would much rather somebody actually goes and does the obedience to Christ. Evangelism, disciple-making, missions, prayer, Bible reading, like they're doing it, and they've never read any book on it at all. That'd be much, much better. Because reading can be an idol, and it's easy to just know a lot but not do a lot. Scripture itself warns against reading too much. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. It's kind of like the motto over every campus as you walk in. Much study, much, uh, much study is weariness of the flesh. So those are three reasons why not to read books. But now let me give you five reasons why you should read. I'll list them off and then we'll unpack them. Read for God. Read for wisdom. Read for pleasure. Read for your kids. That's an odd one. And read for rehabilitation. So first, read for God. So think about this. God wrote a book. God wrote a book. If that is true, which not everybody in the world believes that, but for Christians, we believe that, that's a game changer. If that's true, that's a game changer. If God wrote a book, then we must read it. Jesus himself, when tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, 4, said, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So not only is what Jesus is quoting helpful, you know, you live by God's word. You live by that. If you're not eating the bread of life, you are starving spiritually. If you're not, if you're not getting that living word in you, then you're dying. But Jesus also spoke that in the context of being tempted by Satan. So if you don't know the word, then you will not have the resources, the weapons available to you to fight temptation. So you need to read the Bible. Here's, here's what the Bible says about itself, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be complete? Do you want to be equipped? Do you want to be able to do any good work? Do you, do you need help with teaching? Do you need help for correction? Do you want to be trained in righteousness? then read scripture, read scripture. Historically, you can think of uh, William Tyndale in England. He literally gave his life so that we could read the Bible in English. And he was killed for translating and distributing the Bible in English. So many people throughout the centuries have suffered and longed for the privilege of being able to read the scriptures in their own native language. And so if so many have suffered and died for that, why would you dismiss it? It is a glory to be able to read God's word. We're not in darkness trying to figure out, is there a God? What is, what is he like? How, how are we saved? What does he think of us? You can answer all those things by just reading the book that God wrote. So read for God. Second, read for wisdom. Read for wisdom. Books are precious reservoirs of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 to 14 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better then gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Proverbs 24, 5 to 6 says, 
A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. See, authors, books, can be your counselors and your mentors that help assure your victory. Because there are two ways to gain wisdom. Number one is to just do a bunch of stuff as an experiment in your life and see what works and see what doesn't. And when things fail and you're in pain, you learn from the pain. You're like, that was dumb. I will not do that again. But not everything in life is easily edit undo uh, whenever there's pain. Sometimes you make mistakes that are you know, irreversible. So the second path to wisdom is to learn from the pain of other people, the mistakes that they have made. And reading is a shortcut to wisdom because books are often where people have put all of their pain, all of their wisdom, all of their hard-fought insights. They've distilled it down into these gold nuggets here in these books. Everything they've learned about such and such a topic, they've put it there in that book for you to read. This is a fantastic source of wisdom. And books can provide wisdom in all different areas of life, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, academic, vocational. Anything you want to learn, especially in this day and age, you know, thousands of years ago, you didn't have many books available to you, or maybe you were illiterate. But now, if you're a college student, you probably read. I assume you read. You can read. You're not illiterate. And there's so many books available to you, too many, in fact. So here's my new model that I came up with like two weeks ago. Read it before you need it. And if you like to take notes, write that down. That's key. Read it before you need it. Read it before you need it. That's wisdom. Read a dating book before you ask her out. Read a marriage book before the wedding. Read a parenting book before you're pregnant. Read a book about midlife crises while you're still in your 20s. Read a book about suffering before you're diagnosed. And read a book about death before your funeral. Read it before you need it. That's the path to wisdom. And also, all that wisdom is not just for yourself. It's also for others. The wisdom that you gain is for others, for you to give away. The more wisdom you learn now, the more wisdom you have stored up to give away to other people as you're discipling them for the decades to come. So read for wisdom. Number three, read for pleasure. Read for pleasure. What do you love to read? Read that. (laughs) Whatever it is. What do you want to learn about? Do you want to read fiction stories? Do you want to read about your favorite hobby, like to knit or something, crochet? Uh, Read about new ideas, interesting history, biographies, science, space, food. I love cookbooks. They're a great book. My wife is really into reading cookbooks and then turning the knowledge into application. And then I turn the application into mastication. And it's fantastic. (laughs) So read for rest. Read for enjoyment. Read because it's fun. Reading is a pleasure. Especially fiction where you get to enter into these amazing worlds that Demand your active imagination, not the passivity of watching movies, because the screens use the eye to dazzle, but books use the mind to enchant. So read for pleasure. Number four, read for your kids. Very strange argument, right? Almost no one in this room is a parent. Uh, I don't, perhaps only myself. Um, so this may seem like a very far-off possibility. If you're, maybe you're like, I'm not going to have kids. It's crazy pants. I've seen that. No, thank you. Hard pass. Um, but I want to entice you to read by unpacking this reason, whether you ever have kids or not. So bear with me. Let's get a little bit nerdy. Um, reading picture books to kids, reading picture books out loud to kids, is one of the optimal ways to develop their brain circuitry, as seen in MRI brain scans. 
So Dr. John Hutton describes this as the Goldilocks effect. If you read audio only, no pictures, no books, it's kind of too cold, doesn't light up the brain enough. If you do visual screens, like sitting down in front of YouTube, it's going to light up their brain because their occipital lobe is like paying attention to you know, the screen there and the audio, but the rest of their brain isn't working because they just have to sit there and just, just watch it. You know, and then, but right in the middle is reading picture books out loud. So you're like, you know, the Spot is trying to find, you know, they're trying to find Spot. Is he under the thing? No. Is he under there? No, it's an alligator. And so when I'm reading that, like to my, I, I point, I'm like, do you see the alligator? And so then there's all this crazy stuff happening in the brain of like alligator. That's the audio. Look at the alligator. That's an alligator, you know, and then there's a human being that's saying it. So it's like, it's like communication and relationship. And there's like a hundred different things happening in the child's brain to develop it in just the right way. So the best connections are between the words, the images, ideas. It's reading picture books out loud to kids. Early literacy is essential for later academic success. If kids do not read by fourth grade, they often become dropouts educationally. Any education majors here? You probably have heard that. You need to read by fourth grade because after fourth grade, reading is the tool to learn all the next things in history and math and science. So for you as college students today, the reading habits you start now will shape the lives of children in a few years. If you have kids, if you read now, you'll probably read to your kids. If you do not read now, you will probably not read to your kids because what you model, they will mimic. In our family, we have books everywhere. We're reading aloud to our kids. Uh, We do pretty much weekly trips to the library, bringing home stacks of fresh books for our kids. We read Bible stories. We have a motto in our house, books are treasures. Um, sometimes we say that whenever a child is mistreating a book, like standing on it like a surfboard or something, or they like chuck it into the library bin. We're like, no, 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 books are treasures. Carefully place it down. Thank you. That book is not ours. It's from the library. <laughs> and then, of course, our, our kids see their dad, their mom, reading books and talking about books. We're trying to model it. And again, maybe you think, I'm never having kids. It's not for me. But you will probably have nieces or nephews, maybe. Even if you're not, you're an only child or something, maybe you'll at least have kids at your church and you can read books out loud to them. Or maybe your staff worker right now, they have kids and you could read books to their kids. So read books for your kids. And fifth reason for why you should read books is for rehabilitation. I touched on this briefly in my distraction breakout, but my theory is that reading books is like physical therapy for our fractured attention, that it heals and rewires our brain from the negative effects of screens. Reading books teaches us to do slow and deep learning. And I've heard many people say, I used to read. And it seems like reading is a skill that can be acquired and then lost. But I think it can also be regained. Tony Reiki says, the point of this chapter is pretty simple. As Christians convinced of the importance of book reading, we must periodically gauge the effects of the internet and social media upon our lives. The concentration and self-discipline required to read books requires years of practice to build and consistent exercise to maintain. If we are careless, this concentration and discipline will erode and we will find ourselves in a losing battle, losing our patience with books and losing our delight in reading. The skill and concentration needed to read books is worth fighting for. So hopefully this so far has stirred your motivation to not read, but also your motivation to read. And if you are motivated to read, it leads us to our next question. What books should you read? You may have felt overwhelmed by the amount of books to read. People may be giving you recommendations. If you go on hashtag book talk on TikTok, I think it's 38 billion views on that hashtag alone. It's a lot of options to read out there. Um, 
Tony Reiki writes in his book that over 200,000 books are published every year. And there's millions and millions that are already available. So there are more books than you can read in your lifetime. So I'd like to offer a strategy to prioritize your reading. And if you'd like to take notes, write this down. In three prioritized categories. Scripture, wisdom, pleasure. That's not just the priority, but it's also the diversity. I recommend that you read in all three of those categories regularly. That gives kind of a healthy literary diet. Scripture, wisdom, pleasure. Scripture number one, wisdom number two, pleasure number three. So let's unpack those. Scripture, like I said before, prioritize God's word. It comes first. It's central. It's best. Even if you don't read any of the books, you should at least read the Bible. For me, at the start of every year, I stop all my reading, and I read only the Bible all the way through. I don't do this for other books because other books are not worthy of that. I don't reread other books the way that I reread the Bible. I don't study and discuss books the way that I deeply invest in the Bible. I suggest reading the Bible in depth and also in breadth. Depth, go slow, go deep, read commentaries, OA, Bible study, read Noble Word, do Bible discussions, go in depth. And then also read in breadth, like binge read the Bible, read through whole books, sit down and read Romans in one hour. And then tomorrow, read Romans in one hour. And then tomorrow, read Romans. Just read, read Romans every day for a week. Seven hours, one hour a day, read Romans. Man, you will begin to soak in that book. It will begin to shape you. Read for breadth and read for depth in the Bible. So that's number one, scripture. Second, wisdom. Read for wisdom and make that part of your regular literary diet. And again, read it before you need it. So what kind of Life are you living? What kind of things do you anticipate? What kind of problems and troubles and difficulties and sufferings and temptations and sin? What's going on in your life? Read for wisdom in those things. I'd like to recommend to you, um, making a few assumptions here, that you're a college student. This kind of the the struggles that college students face are somewhat common. And so I want to recommend for you 10 books for you to read that will give you wisdom that's relevant for your life as a college student. Um, I'm going to hold up the physical books, but if you look on the bottom of your outline, the bottom right there, there's a QR code. The list is there on that Google Doc, so don't feel like you've got to write it down rapidly. Maybe like write down one that you're like, I want to read that one this summer. So here they are. In no particular, well, actually in a particular order, just the first two. Um, the first one I recommend you read is the one that most of you got, Lit, A Christian Guide for, to Reading Books by Tony Reinke. There's a book about reading books, very meta. But it will be very helpful to read first because reading this book will help you to read every other book you read later. This will give you a biblical theology of reading books. It will give you tips, tricks, hacks, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, very, very, very helpful book. And you have received it today because of the generosity of Desiring God that has donated these books for you. So there you go. So read that first, I'd recommend. And then I'd recommend next, as your second book, read The Fuel and the Flame, Ignite Your Life and Your Campus for Jesus Christ by Steve Shavrak and Paul Worcester. Anybody read this? Yeah, a few of you. Awesome. So what I like about this book is so many things, but it's written for college students, so it's incredibly relevant, all the stories and things. It has discussion questions at the end of each chapter. So if you want to read, you do like a book discussion, it's already ready to go for a discussion. You don't even have to prep anything. Just read the discussion questions. And it covers so many different topics that you could read a book on Bible and a book on prayer and a book on fighting sin and a book on evangelism and a book on disciple-making or a book on missions, but you could just read this, which is all of those in one. The chapter's are real short. It's fantastic. So read that. Okay, now, in no particular order, the other eight. Okay. Do More Better, A Practical Guide to Productivity. You start with procrastination, time management. Read this book. Um, 
Just do something, a liberating approach to finding God's will if you struggle with decision-making. Like, I have FOMO, I have FOBO. I don't know what to do with my life. Who do I date? What job do I take? What classes do I take? Read this book. So helpful. So helpful. Read it before you need it. If you are a graduating senior, read this book, In Transit, A Guide to Navigating Life After College. So helpful. Read it before you need it. The transition after college is hard for many people. This book will help you. I want you to be helped. So many people really struggle when they graduate. So read this book like, you know, like February, March, April of your senior year. And if you just graduated, it's not too late, read it now. Like read it over the next few weeks. It'll be so beneficial for you. Okay. <laughs> when I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy by John Piper. So good. So good. Now here's an example where you don't need to read this book. You can go on YouTube and you can search for When I Don't Desire God. And there's a three-hour lecture series that's broken up into six videos, 30 minutes each. You could just, just watch that and like watch it, man, again and again and again. Binge that. Um, that's the permission to binge. Um, or you can read this. So either read it or watch that. This is such a helpful book. Because Piper has this great book called Desiring God. And people are like, hey, Piper, I love your book. I, I want to desire God, but I don't. Like I don't desire God like you say I should and like the scripture says I should. Delight yourself in the Lord. I don't. But I wish that I would. Like what do I do? And so he eventually wrote this book. What do you do when you don't desire God? So helpful. So helpful. Okay, I wrote this book. That's the one many of you have gotten in the room. If you don't get one, talk to me afterwards. It's called The Relentless Fight, The Power of the Gospel and the Fight Against Sin. It talks about my own story of fighting sin and realizing, like, man, I can't fight this out of guilt or out of shame. I need to fight this out of the power of the gospel. So if you're struggling with sanctification, with besetting sins, read this. It'll give you encouragement and empower you with the gospel and equip you for the great fight of faith. Single, dating, engaged, married. All of you are in one of those categories. <laughs> and you probably will transition to another one of them, either forward or backward. <laughs> That's life. This is helpful no matter where you are on that spectrum of four different stages in life. So good. It's written for college students, written by a guy who was in college ministry, Ben Stewart, fantastic. Read it. Okay, two more. Um, J.D. Greer's book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? It's kind of a big question that college students are wrestling with. What am I going to do with my life? It's short. It's written for college students. It's fantastic. In this book, J.D. Greer considers Jesus' radical call to give your life away to the greatest cause of all, to view your life from the perspective of eternity. It's time to put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. Very helpful, inspiring, kind of invigorating energy shot. And then finally, you are a student, so learning for the love of God, a student's guide to academic faithfulness. Donald Opitz and Derek Mellaby. Great book because you're a student. Like, that's your vocation now. So read this in order to glorify God better as a student. So that's the top ten. And again, you can get those at the QR code there. So read for wisdom and read it before you need it. Next category, scripture, wisdom, and then pleasure. Read for pleasure. Read whatever you enjoy. If you like history, read history. If you like biography, man, read biographies. I love Adoniram Judson's biography. Read fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, novels. Mr. Read children's books. Read what you like. Read for pleasure. And I think it's good to have a, a, a diversity where some of what you're reading is scripture, some of what you're reading is wisdom, some of what you're reading is pleasure. For me, uh, this is kind of part of my like nerdiness, but also like idolatry of reading, is that I usually am only like a, a scripture and wisdom. 
So I've been trying to integrate pleasure in, and part of it's more like just efficiency and like being productive, whatever. And I'm like, oh, like I love to read, but I don't, I'm not going to do it because it's not productive. Like, no, no, I need to read for pleasure because life is not just achievement culture and cranking out productivity, but it's also pleasure because God created an awesome world and he created rest. I read a lot of different things. Um, a book I'm probably going to start this week is uh, the third in the Mistborn trilogy, um, Hero of Ages. Please, no spoilers. I don't know what happens. Um, but I read Mistborn and Well of Ascension the last few months. And so Hero of Ages is next. You like it? Yes. Okay. Um, for, for scripture, obviously, you don't need to ask anybody for recommendations. Just read the Bible. For wisdom and for pleasure, you can ask recommendations of people, uh, particularly your staff worker if they know you well. They probably know you well, and they know books well, and so they're able to give the perfect recommendation. Hey, what should I read this summer? You know me. What should I read? And don't be offended by what I say. No, I think you need to grow in this area. It's like, thank you. Yes, I need to grow. I need an abundance of counselors. Please give me your recommendations. Okay, so we've selected some good books to read from the categories of Scripture, Wisdom, and Pleasure, but how do we read them? So next, let's look at some wise reading habits. So first I want to talk about three common struggles with reading. I don't have time, I'm not a good reader, and I can't afford to buy books. So let's unpack those. First common struggle is I don't have time. I don't have time to read. I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. That's probably the most common and strongest objection. And I get it. We're all crazy busy, crushed under the burden of achievement culture, teetering on the edge of burnout. That's a whole other talk. My wife taught that at Women's Conference. And if you there you go. It's great. It's on the podcast. You can listen to it about burnout and the gospel. Um, but it's a topic for another day, not right now. So honestly, we, we all make time for what we want to make time for. And I'm not advocating for you to just add in an hour of reading a day and just like smash more productivity out of your already exhausted body and skip sleep and stuff. What I'm suggesting is not an addition. I'm recommending a replacement. I'm recommending a replacement. In order to say yes to reading, you will have to say no to other things, maybe even good things. You will have to sacrifice something. And so what will it be? What will you stop doing in order to free up time for reading books? If you came to my distraction seminar, I'd recommend give up something related to entertainment or your phone. Instead of an hour of Netflix, do an hour of reading. Instead of an hour of Instagram scrolling, do an hour of reading. Instead of an hour of TikTok, do an hour of reading. Uh, I was talking with a student a few weeks ago, and I think it was something like 17 hours per week that we identified with the Screen Time app on his phone that he had spent on YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. I think it was like just the social media things. And I was like, imagine if you spent 17 hours a week reading the Bible. Well, that's hardcore. And like you could just if you said no and blocked Instagram on your phone. So here's a few tips on creating a reading habit. This is this cool, cool little part of uh, wisdom called behavior design. So I read this book called Atomic Habits last year, and then I read Tiny Habits, fantastic books. So Tiny Habits says start small. So if you're like, man, I, I have no time and I'm bad at it, Try starting with reading one page per day, just a page, one page. You can probably do that no matter how burned out your brain is, no matter how busy you are. You can probably read a page each day. So start there. Start there. If you want to upgrade a little bit more, you probably can do one page, one more page or more than one page. Try this, this idea of implementation intention, which is basically scheduling an appointment with yourself. 
saying, I will read such and such book, such and such time, amount of time, at this time, in this location. Schedule it just like a doctor's appointment. It's going to be Tuesday morning, 8 to 9 a.m., I'm going to read Lit by Tony Reinke, or however much I read in an hour. It's not so much about the amount you read, but rather the consistency in reading. So even if it's a page a day or 10 minutes a day, it will add up, and you will be, by definition, a reader. If you read a page a day, you're a reader. There you go. Congratulations. Okay, so I don't have time. That's the first objection. Next is I'm not a good reader. I'm not a good reader. Man, I wish I could, you know, but I can't focus. I get distracted. I don't remember what I read. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get anything out of it. Or you just dislike reading the same way that I dislike running. This is a significant obstacle for many students. I hear this often. The struggle is real. I get it. My advice would be, similar to anything new or difficult in life, start it and keep at it, and you'll probably get better. And maybe you have learning disability, different things, you know, get the help, the relevant professional help for that. But if you can read, but you just, it's just hard, try just reading more and you'll get better. Just like playing the guitar, riding a bike, sniping in Call of Duty, doing squats at the gym, you start out poor and then you get better. And the more you invest in it, the better you get. The reason why the 12-year-old online is so amazing at no-scope headshots is because he's been doing that nonstop for like six years. If you, if you do it nonstop for years and years, you will get better. Imagine how great you could get at reading and how the difficulty could turn rather into pleasure. Ask for help from good readers that you know. Ask how they do it. Um, you can also learn some comprehension strategies. The great book I read um, called I Read It But I Don't Get It, and it's written for educators, like for helping adolescents who are struggling, like maybe in a remedial reading course. And she recommends, Chris Tovani, she recommends take notes. That'll help you understand it better. Visualize what you're reading. Like think about what it would look like, what it would smell like. Ask questions of the text. You know, why, why is this person saying that? You know, I wonder what comes next. Um, you know, what, what, what does this, this idea mean? Connect it to background knowledge. Anything, you know, you're reading a book on World War II, connect what you're reading there with anything else you know about World War II, from movies, from books, from your grandfather that you talked to that he served in World War II, you know, connect it to background knowledge. That'll help you so that this, this book isn't just sort of like this silly thing that my English teacher told me to read, but it's like connected to life and reality, connected to my life. It's relevant to me, so connect it to background knowledge. If you read a text and it's, it's confusing, just reread it. Try going back and reading it again, maybe slower, maybe faster, but read it again. And one of the best ways to be able to, to have increase your comprehension as a fix-it strategy is reading with others, discussing it with others. A reading discussion group, maybe just casually talking about other people. I realized as I read Chris Tavani's book, I'm like, oh, I actually have done a lot of these things, but like not knowing that they were like comprehension strategies. My wife, oftentimes, we're sitting on the couch together in the evening, we're both reading, because we're nerds, that's what we do. And so I'll interrupt her, hey, babe. And she's like, she's reading, reading, and then like five seconds later, yes, because, you know, distraction, you, you want to stay reading. I was like, can I share with you this thing? She's like, okay. And then I'm like, oh, this quote, and it's so cool, and it's connected to this background knowledge thing that I know, and this other thing every year. And I'm just, I just love to share what I'm reading to people, and I've learned now that that's actually a way to better comprehend what you're reading, is to discuss with other people. So I'm not a good reader. Those are some strategies to help. Third uh, struggle is I can't afford to buy books. Yep, I get it. You know, you're a college student, you're broke, textbooks are crazy expensive. Um, my advice would be borrow books. Borrow books. Borrow them from church, 
borrow them from friends, borrow them from DM staff, and of course that beautiful place, the library. It's a place where you can go and borrow books. That's the, that's the whole purpose of it. They just have books, thousands and thousands of books for you to borrow. It's amazing. I'm like, you're letting me take this home? That's what it is. It's a magical place. So those are the three common struggles. And now I want to look kind of these, how to develop wise reading habits. I want to look at seven pro tips for becoming a wise reader. So number one is establish purpose. Establish purpose. Ask yourself before you even crack open the page, why am I reading this book? Establish that purpose before you even begin reading. That will stir your motivation. It will clarify what you're trying to find in this book as you're reading it. Also, when you establish purpose, you need to pick good books. Try to avoid books that you honestly don't have motivation to read. If you don't have motivation to read, then you're going to be reading it with like maybe guilt or shame or fear or whatever. It's not going to be good motivations. And when the motivation is, um, is suspect like that, then you begin to associate reading with displeasure and with guilt and with pressure and all these things. And then you run the risk of then associating all reading with negative things. So... Uh, you know, you might need to read some books for your classes. That's hard. Maybe you just have to. But in terms of reading that you choose, pick good books that you want to read. You have a key motivation to read. And then if the book, you start reading it, but, like, it's just not good, then stop reading it. Uh, because, again, if you keep reading it, like, oh, I just have to. It's like you're going to develop then a displeasure. It's better for you to just stop the book, go on to something else that you really enjoy. So, number one, establish purpose. Number two, remove distractions. Reading requires your highest level of concentration and attention, so don't sabotage yourself. Find a quiet location. Try as much as you can to get a quiet mind, a quiet phone. For me, my best reading happens in the early mornings before anyone else in the house is awake. My kids wake up at 7.30, so if I am trying to read past that, it's not going to work. I need to pay attention to my kids and help them with breakfast and everything. So whatever reading I'm going to do it needs to happen before 7.30. My mind is fresh. My mind is alert. I have quiet and solitude. My phone is away, and that's my best time to read. So remove distractions. Number three, sample. Sample. Sample a book like an appetizer before you dive in. Read the cover. Read the back cover. Maybe take a look at the table of contents, like what's the argument that this author is advancing. Maybe if you want to go a little bit step more, read the intro and the conclusion, and then evaluate, do I want to read the rest of this? Like, did it, did it grip me? Is it interesting? Is it, is it something I want to learn more about? Uh, maybe even just read a book review first before committing to it. So sample. Number four, use OIA. OIA is a Bible study method. Uh, it stands for observa- observation, interpretation, and application. And you can use those things not just for Bible study, but for any books that you read, especially the ideas of, of structure of a book, the main point of a book, repeated themes, the argument, the flow of thought. Those things are not just Bible study. They're also any book that you read that will help you understand it better. Number five, craft a literary diet. You've got to diversify your reading so you don't get stuck in your ruts. Again, scripture, wisdom, pleasure, and even sort of subdivisions within those three. Craft a literary diet. Number five, no, sorry, number six, read with friends. Discuss the book. Go deeper with the book. Reading community provides extra motivation and even accountability. Start a book discussion at your school. Maybe start it this summer over Zoom or in person if you can. Read with friends. Number seven, read upstream. 
I got this idea from Alan Jacobs in his book, The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. He said, um, you know, if you really enjoyed a book, try to figure out what the sources or the inspiration for that author was. That's reading upstream. Um, one example for me, I, I read the book Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble in summer 2019, and I was like, wow, where is Alan Noble getting this profound idea of the buffered self? Like, this is brilliant. I want more of this. So look in the end notes, and all the quotes there, the buffered self are from this book called A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. So I said, okay, let's check that out. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's 776 pages. This is crazy pants. I'm never going to be able to read this by myself. It's too hard. But I wonder if I could find some super nerdy, not just regular nerdy people, but like super nerdy people that might be willing to read this with me. And we can kind of like gather together and like, you know, like Spartans and kind of put our shields up and try to read this thing. And so we, later that year, established a secular November, where on November 1st, we started reading a secular age and... Some people finish November, some people much later. But um, A Secular November was our reading club that we did to read that book. And man, I learned a lot about the buffered self. And then going back this year, reading Disruptive Witness again, three years later, understood it so much better because I had read upstream and I'd read his source. So those are the seven. Establish purpose, remove distractions, sample, use OIA, read with friends. Or sorry, sorry, number five, craft a literary diet. Number six, read with friends. And number seven, read upstream. So I'm going to read a quick quote and pray, and then we're going to finish officially. If you want to, though, um, there's kind of an extra, like a supplement, like an optional, optional extra to the seminar, where we're going to do a workshop. I've got some things to reveal up on the whiteboard, and then we're going to do a little bit of Q&A. So if you've got to run to different things, you know, volleyball and chalk and stuff like that, please do, but if you want to stay, you can. But let me give you just a quick gospel reminder, and then pray, and we'll be, we'll be done. Tony Reiki writes this in Lit, page 185. Regardless of how many books we read, we cling to the old rugged cross. When books overwhelm us and our intellectual limitations discourage us, we recall the gospel. In the good news of Jesus Christ, overwhelmed readers find peace and joy and the courage to keep reading. So remember the gospel as you read. Um, and also a reminder, there's a, the QR code will take you to a lot of other resources on reading books and all kinds of tips and tricks and, and then, of course, book recommendations. So let me pray, and then we'll take a quick pause before we do the workshop. Father God, we ask for your help. Uh, Lord, we admit that uh, we often don't have a love for your word. We'd rather read other things. Um, or often we don't have a love for wisdom. Uh, maybe we um, settle for shallow pleasures. Uh, or maybe we love pleasure too much. Uh, there's many, many pitfalls we can have with reading. And there's many struggles or weaknesses or difficulties. So Lord, we, we devote all this to you and just ask for your help. Would you bless us and help us and draw near to us? Would you give us a hunger and a desire for your word above all other things? Would you give us a desire for wisdom, either through books or through other means? And Lord, would we be able to enjoy the pleasures that you give in, in the world with food and with friends and with nature and also with books? Lord, we devote these things to you. We want our lives to glorify you. So please, Lord, work in our hearts for all of that. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.